So how many of you in here remember that Robert Frost poem, you know, The Road Less Traveled? You know, I, I came upon and path diverged in the woods, and I, I took the road less traveled, and that has made all the difference. Why does that poem give us warm fuzzies? I don't understand it because I've always thought, he just said it made all the difference. He didn't say it was good. I, I, maybe it's my cynical nature, that poem, but I look at it as like, yeah, you took the road less traveled, now you're lost. Now you're out somewhere, you don't know where you are. That made all the difference in getting to where I wanted to be and being lost in the desert somewhere. Who knows? The, the point is, sometimes we don't really know what the future's going to hold for us, right? Not just sometimes, we, we really don't. And we have the, the, you know, the sayings that are true in our faith. It, it's, you know, we say it's cliche, but cliches are cliche for a reason because there is some truth to it. That, you know, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. But there is comfort in knowing God knows what's coming. He knows where life is headed. He knows what his plan is. He knows what our involvement in that plan is and what our lives are, you know, meant to be and who we are. I mean, he's, he's got it all worked out. And there are times in life that we just have to put our trust that God knows what he's doing because it can be nothing but chaos in our midst at times, right? And when I say chaos, I mean painful, hurt, confusion, you know, brokenness. I mean, we we just don't know what is going on. And there are times we just want to cry out like, God, why is this happening? And it happens when our lives take what I'm calling the unlikely road. Because we all like the, the message that God loves us and has a plan for our lives, right? I mean, doesn't that sound amazing? God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. That is until the plan involves something that we don't like. And then we're like, God, where's this fit in the plan? I thought you had a plan for me, God. And God's like, oh, I do. And it is a good plan, but it's not according to our standards. You know, in Isaiah, when, when God said through the prophet Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, my ways are higher than your ways. And he says, nor are my thoughts your thoughts, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God's not just telling us something that like, hey, I, I work a little differently than you. What's he saying? He's saying, I work altogether differently than you. Like, I don't even think like you. God created our minds. He knows how we think. He knows where it's limited. His thinking is not limited. His ways are not limited. God is not what we are. And there are times in life when life can take a turn that everything in us wants to scream at God then and ask why. Everything in us wants to push back and say, this isn't good. How can this be good? And most of the time in those moments, we get the silence of heaven, don't we? You know why? Because God doesn't have to explain himself to us. And most of the time, he won't explain himself to us. You know what he will do? 
he will accomplish his will in us. He will move things where he wants them to be. And then, years later, at some point, God says, hey, turn around and look at what I did. And we look back on our lives with 20-20 vision, with faith and understanding God was with us the whole time, and we start to put the pieces together and we're like, oh, wow. God, look what you did. And some of you in here know exactly what I'm talking about with that because you've experienced it. You look back on your life and you're like, yep, God was there. And you're even somewhat embarrassed at, yeah, at the time, I I wasn't happy with God. In fact, I was angry with him. I was bitter. I, I didn't trust him. And yet he held on to me. And didn't hold it against me that I didn't trust him in that moment. Now, he taught me to trust him through this. And he taught me who he is. And he taught me about his goodness. But at the time, yeah, I was anything but gracious about what was happening in my life. You know, you're not alone if if that has happened to you. It seems to happen to every Christian at some point. It seems everybody who follows God has this season in their life that just doesn't make sense. And you're, you're, you even look at it and you're like, God, I'm trying to follow you, but it's like everything in the world is keeping me from it. And maybe he even gave you a vision like he did Joseph. And then these things happen and you're like, how does this fit in the vision, God? You've called me to this thing. You called me to this purpose. And it's like everything in my life now working against it. God, how does this fit? Because we all will end up taking the unlikely road because of the hand of God in our lives. Does, does anybody in here, can anybody in here raise their hand and say, oh yeah, God, God started active in my life and I just thought ahead and was like, it should look like this. And then it worked out that way. How many people are like, yeah, I thought it would work out like this and it was anything but. Yeah, completely different. Well, this is exactly where Joseph finds himself. God has given him a vision, right? What is that vision? His brothers, his father are going to bow before him. He's going to reign and he's going to rule. And he's not shy about sharing that vision with those he's to reign and rule over (laughs) at 17 years old. And so he's got an idea what God wants from him. And yet the path he is about to take won't make any sense to him until it's actually fulfilled. Every turn that his life will take from this moment on is going to seem completely out of step with what, what God wanted from him. It will appear as though every single turn takes him further from that vision when in actuality it was bringing him closer to it. And this is what we have to learn from this, is that the unlikely road is only unlikely because of us. Because we think we have it figured out, because we think that we know how life should work, and we don't think like God. And you know what? None of us is going to think like God. So that's not a condemnation. That's just a a fact that none of us thinks like God. 
And so if we think we're going to figure out exactly what God's path is and how it's going to work, that's a lesson in futility. That is just a futile exercise of we're never going to figure it out. But we can trust that through the process, God is good. And so we're going to start today, and we're, we're going to do a little different because we have a little bit more scripture to read. We're going to break the story up and, and talk about it in sections. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 12. And it says, now his brothers went to pasture their flocks, their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. Now we're going to pause here because there is one important phrase in this entire section that I wanted us to make sure we caught, and that is Joseph's response. Throughout the Old Testament, when, when somebody in authority speaks, you know a person has a heart of faith. Now, faith, that doesn't mean it's fully developed. That doesn't mean the character matches the faith. Just that they have a heart of faith by three simple words, and that is that they respond, here I am. You see it over and over in the Old Testament. And that's what Joseph, Israel, calls to, or Israel calls to Joseph, and he says, hey, go check on your brothers, and he says, here I am. And this is, shows that he has a heart that is willing, okay, that is absolutely willing to follow authority. He's willing to submit himself to authority in the right way. And this is an attitude that all of us has to develop with God. And again, we see it throughout the Old Testament. It's especially on display when God calls people. When he called Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. When he called Moses at the burning bush, he says, Moses, Moses, what does Moses say? Here I am. Here I am. When he calls Samuel, the prophet Samuel, he says, here I am. Now, Samuel didn't know it was God. He thought it was somebody else, but... His heart was still there as saying, here I am. In Isaiah chapter 6, responding to God's call, God says, Who sh whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, here I am, send me. There is something about this response that reveals a heart that is inclined towards God and towards faithfulness. And I want us to think about that right now because in every instance, when God calls somebody in this manner and they say, here I am, what's about to follow? Not a fun assignment. In any instance, does it ever is like, hey, I'm sending you off to do something amazing and you're going to really enjoy it. It always involves, I mean, Moses, hey, go stand before the pow most powerful man in the world right now and tell him to let his slave force go. That should work out, right? Because people are really good about that, you know. Isaiah, he says, whom shall we send? Who will, who will go for us? He says, here I am, send me. And he's like, where am I going? And, and God says, oh, you're going to go and preach to the people and tell them you're ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. Keep the heart of this people dull so that I can destroy them. Oh, cool. You see, every time, 
God calls us and then he moves us. And it's always an unlikely road. You just remember Moses got the call and he's like, here I am. And he's like, hey, go do this. And Moses is like, no, you got the wrong guy. You, you really need to call somebody else. And God's like, nope, you're the guy. And he goes, no, I'm really not. I'm really not, God. And he goes, yes, you are. He goes, no, I'm not. And he just argues with God. Now, how many times do we do that? Is we, we, we say, God, use me. God, use me. And then he says your name. Hey, Roger, here I am. Hey, go do this. Oh, ooh. can we do anything else but that? And it just seems to be what we are. But we see in Joseph's life right here that he's willing. He knows his brothers hate him. <laughs> he knows that there's strife and everything here. And yet Jacob says, hey, go do this. And he says, here I am. Okay. I'm, I'm present, I'm accounted for. Now, we also contrast this with response in the Old Testament when people weren't faithful. We have Jonah that God calls. says, Jonah, son of Amittai, arise, go to Nineveh, that great and terrible city, and tell them the day of the Lord is coming. And he says, oh, no. And he doesn't say, here I am. He just gets up and leaves and goes the other way. See, no, here I am. It's just, oh, I heard that and I don't like it. I'll go do something else. We read about King Saul hiding while his troops are fighting. You see, what we do reveals our heart. And Joseph right here is willing to go. And I know that this seems, you know, innocuous, but every time in Scripture where here I am is uttered and followed by faithfulness, you can rest assured God's about to start something. God is about to stir the pot God is about to upset the apple cart. Use whatever phrase you need to understand it. God's about to move. And so, we have after this what I'm going to call a chance encounter. Listen in Genesis 37, 14 through 17. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Does that seem a little suspect to you? His brothers aren't where they're supposed to be. In fact, they are miles away from where they're supposed to be. They've told dad, we're going to be at Shechem. He goes to Shechem. Now, how many parents like, you know, I mean, you know this moment. Hey, you said you're going to be here and you're not there. But he sends Joseph along, and Joseph is out there walking around. It's like, um, they're supposed to be here. They're not. And it just says a man walks up and is like, hey, what you looking for? Does that seem a little suspect to you? What do you think is happening right here? God has sent an angel. God has intervened. God is making sure things happen the way he wants them to happen. You see, Joseph was wandering and confused at the location of his brothers. But we could say metaphorically, he's wandering and confused in his life at this moment. He has this vision from God, and yet he's clearly on the outside with his brothers. I mean, they're pastoring the flock. He's not even with them now. He was with them before, and he brought a bad report of them back to their father. Now, they've all left without him and just said, you know what? Dad, you like him the best. Why don't he just stay here with you and we'll go on? And we'll do this. So the the divide has gotten even worse. So he's not even out there. 
you got to think, he's wondering inside, how does this vision of me reigning and ruling come to pass with the situation the way it is? He's wandering in his life. And then, out of nowhere, a man finds him wandering and gives him direction that will change his life forever. God will intervene in our lives when it's time. And we won't even know he intervened. Did Joseph have any clue that maybe this is God's hand directing? No, he's just like, hey, you know where they're at? Yeah, I know where they are. They went to Dothan. Okay, cool. And he leaves. But God's hand is in this. And the reason I know that is, one, the brothers clearly don't want to be found because they've gone to great lengths to keep their location unknown. They, they are miles away from where they should be. In fact, they're in a hostile territory where things have happened that could be dangerous for them to even be because of their family history with other people in the area. And we don't have time to get into all that, but it's like they really wandered into a ter- territory where they shouldn't be. And so God intervenes, but this is not new. This is not a new event in the life of his father, Jacob. In Genesis 32, 24 through 28, we read, and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, what happened in this? God was and is directing his people, his plans and his purposes to the place they need to be. So it's not any wonder that Jacob, Israel's son, Joseph, is wandering in the desert, is wandering in the fields and a man shows up to direct and guide him. God shows up in our lives in some of the most innocuous and almost anonymous ways that we don't realize until we look back on it. You know, we all want the voice from heaven, right? We want the plan laid out perfectly, and God's like, do this and do this and do this, and this is going to happen. When God is really like... Um, take one left step. Okay. Yep, he's on the path. I got it. He's, he's now where I need him to be. And God shows up and he directs things just like that. And we see that in Jacob's life. We see that in Joseph's life. And what this leads us to look at is Proverbs nineteen twenty one. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. How many of y'all have had a lot of plans in life? But you look back and you realize God was in control. God made things happen as he wanted them to happen. And not that we failed. You know, it doesn't mean it was all perfect. But you're like, man, the things that have really held up in my life are clearly the things that God wanted to happen. They're clearly the things that God has valued. And so I've had all these plans, but... God's plans are the ones. God's purposes are what have prevailed. Now, sometimes those plans, those purposes prevail at the cost of our plans. And that's what seems to be happening here. 
And commentator uh, K.A. Matthew says it this way. He says, the unseen hand of the Lord is apparent here. He is directing Joseph to discover his brothers so that the divine plan for the salvation of Jacob and many peoples might be realized. Although it meant a troubling time for the house of Jacob. See, if you know the story of Joseph, you know what's coming. Because we realize at this point that Joseph is a marked man. So listen in Genesis 37, 17 through 25. It says, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So Joseph came to his brothers. They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit, that was, the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. Ooh, that got cold. As Joseph approached his brothers, they recognized him from afar. You ever wonder how? I mean, I, I doubt their eyesight was that good. Because he is a marked man. He's wearing a coat of bright colors. You know, we always talk about, man, you could see him from a mile away. Guess what? It's true. They saw Joseph coming and they saw those colors and they're like, there he is. The very object of their scorn. The symbol of their division. The symbol of his vision of God lifting him up and elevating him. The symbol of everything that they thought was wrong with the world was approaching them from a distance and they could see it and recognize him. His brother's disdain is evident as they call him the dreamer, literally the Lord of dreams in the Hebrew. It gets even more derisive there, right? Oh, here comes the Lord of dreams. They, they just, they don't like him. Jesus didn't know what awaits him, but he's about to lose a life that he knew and in the process, his coat the brightly colored coat, the symbol of his favored status, will be torn from him and used against him. And how far is this? The brothers want to kill him. Don't take lightly the scripture sometimes when it talks about this. They were premeditating their murder of their youngest brother. That's how deeply they hated and despised him at this moment. See, last week when I said that God will give vision in the middle of dysfunction, trust me, when I said dysfunction, I meant dysfunction. This was so unhealthy that it has now degenerated to the point of committing murder. This is where God is choosing to work. Now, Reuben, the eldest, intervenes with the intention of saving him later and presenting him to their father. There's probably a plan to, you know, get in on that favored status here by the eldest Reuben. But what we see is that God provided a protector in the midst of this terrible moment. One brother is like, you know what, we shouldn't kill him. And yet he's thinking selfishly himself. It's like, I'll take him back to dad and I'll be the hero. 
Dad will love me as much as he does Joseph then because I'll present him back and let them all know what was going on, that I saved him. See, one of the things we can grab onto in this is it doesn't matter our motives. God can and will accomplish his purpose even through evil people. God is not limited to only those who are in step with him. God can and he will move in ways that that we can't understand. And so in the midst of this, he needs, part of God's will is that Joseph is thrown into that pit. It is not God's will that he be killed. Guess which one happened? He's in the pit, but he's alive. God is directing this at every step, but we see just how despised Joseph is is that the scripture goes out of its way to tell us they throw him into the pit where there's no water, where there's nothing to sustain him, and then they sit down to eat. Now, when we say no water, you know, think of the time. He's just walked miles and miles and miles in the desert. You think he's thirsty? He's waiting to get to his brothers to like, hey, I want a drink. And he gets there, they throw him in the pit, and they're like, yeah, now's a good time to eat. And they sit there and eat right in front of him while he has nothing. Now, you remember this moment because if you know where this story ends, God has a way of bringing things back around again. But something happens in this moment is that the scripture says that they stripped his robe from him, the robe of bright colors. I mean, it goes out of its way, like his robe that he wore, this coat of many colors that he was proud of, that was this symbol of his status, it is stripped from him and used against him. What does this represent in this story? Well, sometimes the very thing we think is an indispensable part of our identity has to be stripped away so that God can build up something different. So remember last week we talked about Joseph being arrogant, arrogant, enjoying power, wanting status. And in this moment, that coat being ripped from him is like all of who he is at this moment being torn away from him. His status is the favorite. He's not the favorite with these brothers. He's not the favorite at all. His vision, he's wondering, well, how can I rule over them if they want to kill me? How can I do that? I mean, there's going to be so much confusion in Joseph in this moment that life will not make sense to him. And part of becoming who God intends us to be means dying to who we think we are or who we think we want to be in favor of what God is actually doing. that's hard. There there is no easy way to put this. That is a very hard thing to endure. Because this is stuff that is attached to our identity. Okay, this is who we think we are. This is this isn't just a few bad habits, you know, that, hey, I need, to, I need to stop doing this or I need to get better at this. We're not talking about a few practices. We're talking genuine heart issues of who I think I am, who I want to be, all of this. And God sometimes has to take it and just strip it away from us 
so that he can build into us what he wants. And we have to ask ourselves, do we trust God enough to endure the pain of having part of our identity stripped away from us? Because if we don't trust God in that moment, we will white knuckle and hold on to it with everything we have, thinking, God, this isn't fair. Oh, no, it's not fair. But it is good. And this is what Joseph is experiencing, because this is a real death that we experience within ourselves. And it's why Jesus tells us that his disciples must first deny themselves to follow him. Because he is going to make us new. He is going to have us be born again, remade in the spiritual realm to become a new creation. And in order to become a new creation, we must first die to ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen an easy death. We fight back against it. We don't like it. And when we experience that death, it's just the beginning. Jesus promises even more action after that. In John 15, 1 through 2, I hope this brings a little more, uh, you know, kind of color to this verse when it says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. What is pruning? It is the cutting away of that which is attached to us for the purpose of fostering healthier growth. But it's still attached. It's still growing in such a way that it's not producing fruit, but it's attached. It's taking up life. It is taking up energy. It is taking up part of our mind, our mental faculties, our resources of of existence. It is a part of us that doesn't need to be there and, in fact, is contrary to the purposes of God. And so God has to strip it away. And he is, here he says, the vine dresser. So he does it lovingly. He knows what he's doing. But does that make it any more comfortable when he says, hey, that branch in your life that you've had your entire life that you think is a part of who you are, it's got to go. Snip. You think that's peaceful inside for us in that moment? No. It's hard. And, And when I say hard, I mean, we're like, God, why are you doing this? And it feels like a personal attack. We're just like, God, stop, stop, that hurts. And God knows every bit of what we're going to experience in that moment. He knows we're going to cry out. He knows we're going to get mad at him. He knows knows the fit we're going to throw as people. And he does it anyway. And he holds on to us through that process and says, I got you. This is going to turn into something good. But what do we do in the in-between? And I'm serious, what do we do in the in-between when he has cut off the old, but we have not yet seen the new, because it hasn't had time to grow yet? What happens to us in that in-between? We feel lost. We feel weak. We feel like God isn't listening. We feel hopeless. If we don't understand the truth of what is happening, if we don't 
push ourselves to trust God and just remain faithful through the process that he has us in. And so Joseph right here, think about this. He's, he's got this vision in his life, and while he has a heart to be faithful, because he said, here I am. I mean, he, he has a heart to be faithful. He desires to be faithful. He doesn't have the character yet to do it. He has a vision of ruling and reigning in his family and God doing great things with him, and yet his concept of what that would be has to die so that he can do it properly and honor God and his family at the same time. And so God has to put him through the ringer to develop the strength of character and the strength of faith necessary to do what he's called to do. And God makes it happen. He has to remove these traits from him completely and replace them with something strong and and something able to withstand the the weight of his calling. And this is no small task. And, And so pruning is more than removing what is undesirable. It is removing with the purpose of further growth. It is removing so that you will become more than you are now. And God guides this process every step of the way. He's with us, but it will always be, as I said, the unlikely road. It's going to happen in ways that we would never pick for ourselves. Ever. You read in Psalm 119, and there's a section that finally, as he, as he laments his sin and he's crying out for, for pain to end, he finally says, it was good that I was afflicted so that I might learn your statutes. Everybody who walks with God will eventually be able to say those words if we listen to him. It was good that I was afflicted so that I might learn your ways. Everybody who follows God will go through a season where they'll be able to look back and say, you know what? I know myself and I wouldn't have learned that any other way. God knew what he was doing. And people say, well, how did you get through? And you go, you know what? The strength of God. That's all. God got me through it because it hurt. It was painful. I was confused. I was angry. But God was faithful and he got me through. And I came out a different person. I learned a lesson. And not, you know, sometimes we think lessons are just like, you know, I learned some facts. No, when I say learn a lesson in this one, that means life change. My heart learned what life was really about. My heart learned what faith was really about because God's pruning, he has to dig deep and the process of pruning takes us on the unlikely roads in life that will accomplish his will. And so through that, Joseph has to experience betrayal and hardship. Now, how many of us would respond well to a presentation of the gospel where somebody says, you know what, God loves you so much that he has a future of betrayal and hardship, but don't worry, his providence is going to see you through it. We'd be like, well, sign me up. Man, I want to follow this God. And yet that's life. You see, God deals with reality. He doesn't doesn't give us the pie in the sky. Oh, everything's always going to be wonderful. He just says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I want what's good for you. 
I, the Lord, will be glorified. I will share my glory with no other. And we've got to reconcile that and say, huh, this really isn't about me, is it? And God says, no, it's not. But you get to come along. And I have a good plan for your life. And you're going to serve my kingdom in, in some powerful ways. But really, you've got to get over yourself first. So I'm going to help you do that. But I don't know anybody who has gone through that process that looks back on it with regret. Because what God does is he takes away from us our selfishness. He takes away from us our pride, and he replaces it with humility, with love, with patience, with joy. He replaces it with things that glorify him. But for some reason, we attach our identity to these other things, and so when God has to tear them away, he's got to really tear them away. And this is why growth is not this linear thing of like, oh, well, just, you know, one bad habit at a time, just stop and you'll, you'll just get better and better. God says, oh, no, no, you're going to go down into this pit for a while until you decide you don't deserve the castle. And I'm going to leave you in that pit until your thinking changes. And now that your thinking's different, now I can use you and now I'm going to do some things that you would have never seen coming, but I had to change your thinking first. And we literally have to change. And so, a little longer section of Scripture here, but to finish up this, this week's section of this story, starting in verse 28, it says, And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? It's always good the capitalist is there in the midst, you know. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Boy, he's got a real sense of family, right? Warm guy. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Well, that sounds familiar, right? Sold for some silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So let's just say this is now an incredibly difficult, unfair, unjust, and honestly frightening path for Joseph. The life he knew is over, gone. And that is symbolized by the robe being torn, being dipped in blood, Everything he knew in life is gone. 
stripped and taken from him. His own brothers just sold him into slavery after having to be convinced not to kill him. God knows your struggle. God knows your pain. He knows what's going on. And in this, God's call on Joseph's life is real. And now God is directing his life to the place God intends it to be. Pruning involves pain and will oftentimes look and feel so unfair that all we can do is think about what has gone wrong. And this is no different than our lives and our faith today. While we may not be technically sold into slavery by our brothers, can we be betrayed at just as painful levels? Yes. Can we experience trials that shake us to the core just like they would Joseph here? Yes. What do we do with those? James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, what do you think the words, the testing of your faith, really means? Does that mean first world inconveniences of the Wi-Fi is down? God, why are you giving me your hardest struggles? I'm just a man. A test of faith means that you're having a hard time believing. A test of faith means that it is stressing and testing your faith to the breaking point where we have such questions and doubt that we don't know that we can go forward. And James says, hey, be glad when you go through that. You know why? Not because we celebrate pain, but because he says God is working. God is developing something in you that you don't have right now. That's why you feel this pain the way you do is that it's growing, it's pruning you, it is changing you, and it needs to change you because God is working. This is a process that does not resolve quickly. Building character takes time, and God is going to do it right in Joseph's life. He's going to do it right in our own lives. It takes time. So, Joseph is 17 when this happens. It will be 13 years before he ascends to power. 13 years. It will be almost another 10 years before he sees his brothers and father again. 22 years of injustice. 22 years of having to deal with the memory of being betrayed by your brothers and sold into slavery. 22 years to either get faithful or get bitter. It's one or the other. So I want to ask, where are you in this process of becoming? What is God working on you? If your life has taken a dark turn, That doesn't mean that God's mad at you. It may be that God has plans for you. It may be that God is simply working in your heart to say, hey, it's time to grow. I'm pruning. There's some stuff that's got to go away so some good stuff can show up. And so I want you to ask yourself, am I fighting this process or am I embracing it? 
Am I seeking to stay faithful day by day, to just trust God that he knows what he's doing, that God knows how to grow me, he knows what I need to hear, he knows what I need to experience, and he has what it takes to get me to the finish line. The challenge today is to embrace the unlikely road that God puts us on. Don't fight it, embrace it, lean into it, and trust that God knows what he's doing. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, and God, I just I thank you again for everyone here. And God, I pray, Lord, that we have the wisdom to see your hand at work in our lives. God, if we lack that wisdom, we pray that you grant it to us that we would see and understand enough to see your hand in what you are doing, that it would lead us to greater faithfulness, to greater trust in you. God, that we would not despise your discipline, God, but we would embrace it and and we would know that you are treating us as a father. God, that we would be there for one another to, to help each other as we are all in this process of growing and becoming. That We would lift each other up in prayer and encouragement and support and love. And God, we pray that you, above all, are glorified in our lives. God, this is about you. And Lord, we pray that our lives reflect your glory, your grace, your presence, your truth. God, we thank you that we get to be a part of your story. God, help us to be a faithful part of that story. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.